Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 under AM Dial. Yes, we are the dogs. We are the defenders of government schools, D-O-G-S. We've been around for decades now, um, and we need to be around because the government schools have required defending and continue to require defending, and they certainly require defending this week. Um, government schools are one of three systems in Australia. For those people who aren't native to this country, we have three systems of education. We have the government system of education, which is open to all and offensive to none. And we have the education system run by the Catholic Church in Australia, which is not open to all and is by definition offensive to those people who aren't Catholic. Um, and we have the independent school system, which is not actually independent. It's dependent upon taxpayers' money. Um, the vast majority of the independent school system um, is sectarian in nature. It's attached to one religion or another or one church or another, from Scientology to exclusive brethren all the way around to sort of mainstream Protestantism. They all get together and call themselves independent, although they are, of course, no such thing. English language is a wonderful thing. Uh, you can call yourself independent. It doesn't mean that you are. Um, with these three systems competing for, for politicians at time and indeed for taxpayers' money, we have a dog's breakfast of an education system where we separate children out based upon their religion and the income of their parents. This has serious consequences, both for our nation as a whole moving into the future, but also in terms of social divisions. If you divide the children up at birth based upon their religion and the wealth of their parents, then, of course, you create and foment social divisions into the future. Now, today we're going to be talking about um, nothing particularly philosophical. We're going to be talking about stuff that's practical. We're going to talk about tax. Um, Jane's done some investigation on a, a particular school, an, an independent school, I think, called Loretto Kirribilli up in Sydney, and everyone up there is worried about the taxation implications of potential malfeasance. Um, but down here in Victoria, there's something interesting is happening. Um, aspirational people, people who have money, have decided that they, in increasing numbers, are going to send their children to government schools and not send their children to private schools, to not segregate them out on the basis of other parents' incomes or indeed religion. And this is an interesting, interesting situation that poses actually, again, some philosophical and practical questions which we're going to examine today. And of course we're going to be talking about, as we always do, um, the incredible tortured rhetoric that, that you hear from various private school advocates and especially gets, gets very tortured when the independent schools and the Catholic schools fight each other. When they fight each other, it really is just fun to stand back and listen to the rubbish that comes out of their mouths. And we'll be investigating that in detail as well through the program. So, yes, talking about state schools in Victoria, talking about Loretto Curabelli, and, of course, the fight between education systems. But you are now listening to the dogs. We are the defenders of government schools. After a few messages, I think we should listen to what Jean always has at the beginning of a dog's program, which is her press release. Jean, what number of press releases is this? 751. 751. So that's actually 751 press releases that the dogs have released on the air on 3CR 855 on the AM dial yes, over the months and over the years and indeed over the decades. And if people want to find out more about us, they can go to www adogs.info and if they want to go back to press release number one if they go to the press release section and go to the archive they can go all the way back to 1998 would you believe if you, you absolutely you can read them all if you've got a spare couple of months um, but 
after these messages, we're going to find out what's happening up at Loretto. Coming up to that time of year again, time for you to fight for your mic. In a few weeks, we'll be asking you to help us, the dogs, the defenders of government schools, to continue the struggle for another year by donating to 3CR's annual Radiothon. So get ready to fight for your mic and for your community's great state schools during Radiothon 2018. Well, here is Press Release 751. Parents and friends at top private school reside in fear of being caught out gaming the system. The Parents and Friends Association of one of Sydney's most expensive private schools have resigned en masse over concerns it has been, instruct- it has been structured to avoid paying GST tax on hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of fundraising activities. And the main reason that they're concerned is that they are a voluntary association. They haven't been incorporated, so if the tax office or anybody comes for them, it's for them they will be coming. They can't say, oh, we're a company, we're not liable like Mr Palmer. That's the real crux of this matter. Now, the parents at this 20,000-a-year Loretto Curabilly School were told the association had been dissolved due to increasing red tape. But documents that were seen by the Sun-Herald revealed that all eight members of the PNF executive sounded the alarm about the body's finances in March and resigned to protect themselves from potential prosecution over what they suspected were breaches of tax laws relating to its charity status. So what exactly is going on down the road from the Prime Minister's Sydney residence? According to its Loretto Curabili- to its website, Loretto Curability is an independent but Roman Catholic day school for girls. It's located in Curability and which is a lower North Shore um, place for those of us in Victoria who Mm. don't really know that much about Sydney. I'll just clarify, it's lower North Shore, but it's definitely not lower class. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Loretto was founded in 1901, and it's an independent Catholic school for girls from kindergarten through to year 12. The school's one of seven in Australia, which was founded by the members of the Institute of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And they're commonly referred to as the Loretto Sisters. Now, the motto of the school is, Mary, Queen of Angels, as I live, I trust in the cross. So it's a religious school, and they're not even pretending to be charitable. Uh, For the poor, that is. Um, Jane, I just, you're talking about the charitable nature of, was the Blessed Sisters of the Charitable, sorry, I forgot. No, 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 sorry. The Blessed, of the Blessed, the Institute of the Blessed Virgin Mary, right. commonly referred to as the Loretto Sisters. The Institute of the Virgin Mary, well, in terms of charitable status, I can tell you at Loretto Curability, um, the number of children at that, enrolled at that school from the lowest quartile of Australians is None at all, and that is zero. Correct. So of the thousand or so students who go there, there are no poor children. Any Indigenous all. children? Then? No, 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 there's definitely none of those. Well, how many are in the, in the higher quartile? Oh, the um, highest 25%? In, well, they're basically, apart from 3% who are, in lo- who are lower middle class, about 3%, everyone else is in the top half of Australians, and... 80% of the students who go there are from the richest Australians. Because it is, Loretto Killamere is the school for the richest Australians. And there's all sorts of reasons for this, not least of which how much it actually costs a parent to send their child there. Well, how much does it cost the taxpayer? 
I, I get it out at about $9 million. Is that what you're seeing on your for a, for a student, um, for, for a school which teaches very, very rich children, um, in terms of taxpayer funding, yes, it's around about $9 million a year for 1,000 students. This actually works out at around about $10,000 per student from the taxpayer. I'll say that again. For this school, which services exclusively the richest Australians, and when I say exclusively, I mean 80% of the students are from the absolute richest quartile of Australians, we, the taxpayers, every year spend about $10,000 per student so that they can be educated at this school. Our parents, of course, have to cough up as well. They have to cough up a minimum of 18000 themselves. So you put those two together and you get round about $30,000, a little bit under, $30,000 is spent on the education of the children at Loretto Kilrabilly, um, a combination, of course, of parental fees and taxpayers' money. Now, just bear in mind that it costs on average, around about $13,000 to educate a child in a secondary school. Most of the students that go to Loretto aren't in secondary school. They're just primary school kids because it's K-12. So it costs about $13,000 per kid per year to give them a gold standard education. And this school is getting $30,000 a year. Oh, they're all girls too, by the way. There are, there are no boys. No involved. boys. There, there are no boys. No boys, no Indigenous, no poor. So it's a very, very exclusive school. Um, if that's what you want, then uh, you've got to pay for it, and that's what you're getting. I couldn't work out how much the taxpayers paying capital grants, but it seemed to me from, from looking at my research, Robert, Mm -hmm. that um, these people are caught up in the resources boom amongst these uh, wealthy parents. The parents are expecting wellness programs and uh, beautiful buildings and what have you, and the PNC are expected to raise money for this. But there was no evidence that I could find on the website or no figures on the capital grants that the taxpayers are giving these people. That's not there. Although no. they are, we are giving them capital grants, I believe. Oh, no, of course we are. Um, I can tell you why that is, Jane, um, because they don't have to tell us, so they're not. You, if you dig a little into it, you can find out that every year um, per child, um, around about 1500 to $2,000 is spent on the education of their children from, quote, other sources. So, so this is just ongoing. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get to what you're talking about with capital grants. Mm-hmm. So they have this, this, this line item, which is available for public scrutiny, which is around about $1,500 a year, is spent on these girls in this privileged school. It can be described as nothing else. Um, from other sources. Separate to that, in terms of capital expenditure year on year... On wellness places and that sort of thing. um, If you go back through the years, you you can find very definite and substantial spikes. So we only really have any details about the finances from Loretto Kirribilli um, from 2016. We don't have any, obviously, from 2018. We don't have any from 2017. Mm. They haven't... It's obviously very... I mean, poor old Loretto, you know, it's, it's all that organising, trying to get everything in on time. Um, we have no data at all from 2017, but if you go back to 2013, capital grants and expenditures from the government were actually quite substantial, millions of dollars indeed, and in 2012, and then in, back in 2010. This money has been used, of course, in what has been often described in the capital cities in particular, but also in the regions, as the arms race oh. between the privileged schools. If you have two swimming pools, that's better than having one swimming pool. If you have a polo centre or two, that's better than just having one. And this is in a free market of education, the way these exclusive schools market themselves, so that, of course, they can put their fees up, never down. Well, I I find it very interesting. I worked out that they've spent about $6 million in the last four years, and when you actually look at what they're worried about with, with GST and the money they've been raising, they're mouth-watering figures from the point of view of, of any of your local public schools. Oh. So what, is actu- what are they worried about, these people that have resigned? It's been, it seems to me that uh, it's got around the traps, that the ATO is going to get very bolshy, the small uh, middle-class people who are, are gaming the system, because if the coalition gives us tax cuts and company tax cuts, 
the ATO will have to raise an enormous amount of money to fill in the, um, you know, to fill in the extra that will be needed if we want our infrastructure. So it seems to me reading the Sydney Morning Herald report that we're not dealing with split incomes, which you have with family trusts, but we're dealing with split accounts for GST purposes. So I'll read this. This is very interesting. We're told that the lawyers for the school have said that two independent experts had found no issue with the accounts and what's going on. Remember, we're dealing with the minimisation of tax. We're not dealing um, entirely. Well, I don't think they pay any tax at all and they don't need to. But because they're charitable. These people are religious, therefore they're charitable. But in a letter to the principal, Anna Dickinson, the committee leader said that the three ABNs have been registered under its name by the previous PNF committees to avoid the compliance burden of even registering for GST. If you bring in a certain income, then you have to actually register for GST. So they have to pay the GST and they might get it back uh, but they have to register if they raise 150000 But the total fundraising exceeds the 150000 threshold required to pay the tax, and this presented an unacceptable level of risk, they wrote, and they resigned with immediate effect. So these, um, these uh, parents, parents and friends, are not prepared to put their their properties and other things on the line for this school if there is a taxation problem. Remembering that they are a voluntary association, they are not covered by the school, which is a charitable institution and which probably is also incorporated. Now, furthermore, the statement by the members of the Executive Committee attests to the accounts having been prepared to give a true and fair view of the financial position and performance of the PNF Association, and that yet this is clearly not the case, the letter said. Instead, they appear to have been prepared to avoid having to register the PNF Association for GST. Well, this means, of course, that they're raising a lot more than 150000 doesn't it? How many of our little public schools are able to raise more than 150000 a year with their um, selling of chocolates and fairs and things? Now, accounts at this North Shore school, which actually receives $9 million a year in government funding, show that the PNF raised... 200,000 in 2015 through its activities, including the Spring Fair and the Men's Dinner, and a further 111,000 at the annual silent auction and winter dinner. So the confidential advice from Deloitte Private in 2016 said, so they're, they're able to employ these very expensive accountants. Oh, their, their accountancy bill must be pretty, pretty substantial too, I would suggest. They said that the PNF had registered a separate business number for each of its major events and treated them as separate sub-entities for GST purposes. So you've got split uh, income, if you like, for GST purposes. Uh, if you have uh, one uh, uh, 111,000, which is less than 150, uh, then you're going to be paying much less GST on that than if you put that together with 200,000, you have to pay GST on 311,000. Due to the growth of turnover of the combined silent auction and winter dinner, we're told the PNF Association was contemplating registering another separate ABN for the silent auction so as not to exceed the GST turnover threshold for the winter dinner. Now, the PNF had sought advice from Deloitte in 2016 as to whether it could register yet another, a fourth ABN and Deloitte advised it could not and furthermore said that the association really should register for GST. 
But a loophole in the law also meant that the PNF could avoid GST if it held no more than 15 events a year and treated them as input taxed, Deloitte told Loretto's business manager in a letter dated April 13, 2016. So uh, Loretto, like a lot of Catholic schools, of course, has got a business manager who understands how to play the tax system. Now, last year, we're told, it raised three. that's in 2017, uh, the PNF raised 327,000 in donations and they donated 147,454 to the School for Air Conditioning, a new sound system and a school bus. I can, I can almost hear the salivation of uh, some of our listeners who have children in a public school and have to raise money just to pay for basic learning facilities. In her response to the PNF concerns, the principal, Ms Dickinson, warned them of their confidential obligations and said the allegations were false. In a letter to the PNF, she said she had been informed that four of the eight committee members were not comfortable with, with being linked with the report. I'm saddened and disappointed, she wrote, that things reached a point whereby members of the executive committee felt the need to resign from their positions, particularly where this may well be due to a misunderstanding. And, of course, we only see into the wise wherefores and methods of the wealthy when there are these kind of falling outs, don't we? Now, given the serious nature of the matters that you raised in your report, the principal wrote, I'm committed to having these matters investigated and resolved and don't need to remind you of the importance of your continuing confidentiality obligations. I think it's very interesting that the principal obviously is a layperson and one wonders whether or not there's any nuns around these schools anymore. Now, the minutes of a teleconference between the former PNF board members and legal advisers in March claim that the principal suggested, listen to this, a new gift policy that would be a good excuse for a community meeting to announce the dissolution of the PNF using language that won't surprise or startle parents so that the terms won't be misconstrued. So there's worry about the tax, the PNF are not comfortable, but we have to keep everything on a nice, even, clear keel. You mustn't frighten the horses, namely the parents. She urged the PNF members to return to the new body, and if you want to be the leaders of the next entity, I'd be greatly appreciated because it will appear at the surface that there's been no change, she said. The ACNC, which is the Charities Commission, knows that the charity is trying to do the right thing. Non-compliance is common and can be managed, not usually penalised against individuals, she said. I'll read that again. It's very, very interesting. The Charities Commission, the Australian Charities Commission, knows that the charity, and Kirribilli is a charity because it's religious and educational, but it doesn't, of course. It's not charitable in the sense that it looks after the poor. But the charity is trying to do the right thing. And non-compliance... With tax matters is common, is it? Well, that's very interesting and can be managed and it's not usually penalised against individuals. That is the view of the servants of the wealthy because the principal is a servant of the wealthy. That's how I would regard her myself. Now, as an unincorporated association, as I've pointed out, the PNF was structured so that liability for its debts and defaults fell on its members and not the school, leaving some of the members concerned that they could be found in breach of the Corporations Act if they became insolvent. 
There have been significant changes in laws and regulations which have made it increasingly burdensome and onerous for parents wishing to be involved in official roles in the PNC associations. So under the new model that the principal is going to set up, the school will take on the legal responsibility for the PNF, for the administrative, financial and compliance obligations, and the parents and the volunteers will be freed up to focus on what they do best, building relationships within our community and undertaking fundraising activities to enrich our school. Now, up to 2,000 school parents and citizens associations are registered separately as charities and an, a, and, and, uh, an ACNC spokesman said that to date the charities regulator has not revoked the charity status of any such organisation. So these parents really didn't need to resign or get their knickers in a knot and yet some of them did because... Perhaps they are simple-minded enough to see that what's going on is a bit of a rort, that the wealthy are wealthy because they know how to scam the system. Now, federal education department figures show that Loretto Kirribilli is one of the most overfunded schools in the country, it's netting an extra $5 million in 2014, which is 187% of its allocated schooling resource standard. And it's submitted plans for $103.3 million redevelopment in February, including a five-storey innovation centre. So that's where the capital, that's where the money's going. And, and listen to this, an out rooftop learning terraces so that the children can look over the harbour I assume and they asked parents to help to fund the redevelopment so there you are very interesting for those of us at 3CR it's always fascinating to find out how the other half live move the system and have their being
Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Some lovely calming voices there from the Talos Scholars. Um, Josquin Dupre, Kyrie, um, from their 1982 recording, track number one. Yeah, so that's calmed us down, so we need to, after what <laughs> Jean was telling us about how the other half live. Um, while Jean was sitting there telling us all about the capital expenditures and this is and that, says, um, I've been doing a little bit of digging into their books. Um, with what, what lit, little information there is available to the public, I can tell you, Jane, that some very interesting things happened at Loretto Kerribilli around about 2010. Um, Loretto Kerribilli, um, a wonderful charitable educational organisation, took out a loan for $6.5 million and um, took some money from their other column, a mere $21 million, and embarked upon a massive capital works program with half a million dollars of taxpayers' money as well. That, that loan, six and a half million dollars, um, they paid it off in two years. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice to take out a loan for six and a half million dollars and it was paid off in two years? I don't think. I don't think uh, there's uh, there's interest. I think they're interest-free loans. I'm not sure about that. I cannot tell you one way or the other, but I think it's fascinating. So, in those years, and, and I think it's going to come up, um, there was th- over thirty thousand um, dollars paid for in combination by the taxpayer and by the parents, but only $12,000 a year was actually paid on the girls at the time. The rest was diverted to capital expenditure and servicing loans. Mm. Now, I think it's, I mean, if you go to a state school and you go, well, I, you know, I want the money to spend on my kid. No, 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 no. We're going to spend the money that's allocated on, on servicing a loan. I, I think you'd be a, bit, a, little, a little bit grumpy at the principal. But well, there is a principle a bit like that with these private-public partnerships because a lot of our state schools are not owned by us anymore. They are owned by... Um, they are leased, they're in a leaseback arrangement. Yeah, 25-year leaseback arrangement. Yeah. Ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. Well, moving on, because um, I promised earlier on that we were talking about state schools in Victoria um, and how good they are. Well, maybe the fact that we do state schools or grade schools everywhere, every week here on the Dogs Program has got something to do with it, but... Obviously, some people are listening because the enrolments in state schools are going up. And enrolments in private schools are going down in Victoria, in fact, all across the country. I don't actually think it's all to do with our, uh, our little effort here on 3CR, 855 and AM dial and promoting public schools, but we have a little part to play. Follow the money. Follow the fact that people don't have the wage, wage growth they used to have and the people can't pay the mortgages that they're supposed to pay to just put a roof over their children's heads. Yes, indeed, Jean. Um, so this, is, this, this has been a fact in the last four years. Um, and because it's been going on for about four years, there's been a jump in enrolments um, in the state school system. Um, and it's likely that this is actually going to continue. Um, it's also, there's a fall in enrolments, has been over the last four years in the private school systems in, in Victoria, and this is also likely to continue. The shift actually began about three years ago. When, when, when we here at the Dogs Program said, this is what's happening, that's what was happening. Whether you believe it or not at the time, doesn't matter anymore, it's just history that it is. Um, and this has actually followed a steady 20-year decline in the proportion of families choosing to send their children to government schools. This trend has now reversed in the last three years. What we're seeing now, according to Henrietta Cook when she wrote in The Age last week, what we're seeing now, she says, for the first time in more than 30 years, is actually a significant increase in parents actively choosing to send their kids to a government school. Now, Victorian schools will actually have to accommodate a staggering one million students, one million students in the state of Victoria in 2020. The state and non-government sector will both play important roles, um, according to the Minister, uh, Mr Molino. The Australian Institute of Family Studies Director Anne Hollands um, suspects that, as you, as you, as you quite, quite, quite rightly point out, Jean, that the, that the costs of living, housing unaffordability and stagnant wages growth could actually be driving families to state schools. She says there's a whole lot of economic issues families will be weighing up in terms of where they put their money and they're not going to throw it up against a wall of Loretto Kirribilli as much and as often as they used to. Um, she also says maybe we have reached a tipping point and people are saying we just can't afford to send our child to a, pub, a private school. And she also believes there's a mini baby boom going on in Victoria at the moment, in the primary years in particular, and parents' overall confidence in the government education system is actually being boosted um, by the fact that wealthier people are now choosing to send their children to 
state school. So we said, well, it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And there's a follow-on effect, there's a follower effect. Um, she says, in the past where it might have been just a last resort to send your child to a state school if you were an aspirational parent, now it's, it's, it's actually considered to be quite a reasonable thing to do. Um, this, various parents have been doing this, and this is a trend. It's, 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 it's an anecdotal trend, which we spoke about three years ago, but it's also now a statistical trend. So if this is the case, if students are going away from the private education system to the public education system, a dilemma, and a very serious dilemma, presents itself um, in terms of the way the education system, the state education system, treats this influx of parents. Because this is where, and I've said it before, the wants and needs of the grasping aspirational parent and the wants and needs of the children, the children of Australia, are actually at odds. And it's playing out now, interestingly enough, within the state school system. Because the education minister in Victoria has been accused, j'accuse, by aspirational parents of creating what has been described as a clandestine strategy to stop parents choosing, <laughs> to stop parents' choice. Now, the parent choice argument is, you know, is you usually hear it in terms of private schools. Well, we demand to have money from the government so parents can choose to send their children to our school which can exclude anyone we want to because that's just a choice. Choice is God. Let me tell you how this is playing out currently in Victoria, because I think it actually presents a quite significant philosophical dilemma. Now, Victorian state schools are increasing their enrolments. And there are some Victorian state schools that are doing exceptional work. And we talk about them here every week on state schools are great schools, because state schools are great schools, and some state schools are absolutely bloody brilliant, and everyone knows it. And so everyone wants to send their child to that particular great state school. It's the Bush Telegraph, it's the Suburban Telegraph. Oh, it's very active, I can tell you. Um, I'm actually a member of a number of parents and friends' Facebook posts and blogs, and I tell you what, it gets pretty vicious in there <laughs> when it comes to what's good and what's bad and, and, and what common knowledge is. It, it, gets, it gets, quite, gets, gets quite torrid, I would have to say. Um, you, know, you, you, you go onto these parents' Facebook bulletins and you hear most ridiculous things talking about teachers and, 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 and school administrators. It's just really quite aggressive. But let's just come back to... Defamatory, by the sound. Well, yes. Well, well I'm, I'm not going to go that far, but yes, it's quite vicious, I can tell you. Now, Victorian state schools, many of them actually have large numbers of students enrolled in them from outside their zoned area. So it's a great state school. Everyone knows it's a great state school. So parents say, well, I'm not moving there, but I do want to send my child there. I'll get in my four-wheel drive and I'll drive them to school, even though it's 10 kilometres away, because it's such a good state school. And you go, well, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with a parent loving their child so much that they were willing to drive them to a school 20 kilometres away because it's such a great state school? Well, what's happening now is that these schools are filling up. And the schools along the route that this parent takes their child and their four-wheel drive um, are not filling up. They're emptying out. So you have this distribution of resources, which is somewhat skewed. Now, under the new education rules, which are coming into place in Victoria, schools will not be entitled to extra portable classrooms from next year from, from, from 2019, if 50% or more of their students do not live locally. I'll say that again. Can't keep building portables on top of portables on top of portables. If 50% or more of the students from the school... So 50 is a pretty large number. If half of the kids in the school do not live locally, do not live in the school zone... And so if this is the case for these good schools, they are good schools, everyone agrees they're good state schools, and so we applaud that, of course, but turning away out-of-area families has actually been a long-running practice at zoned schools, and now other schools will start refusing enrolments on similar grounds. The cost of real estate will go up. No, the cost of real estate will go down, and that's another question. 
Now, the move is a departure from successive government mantras of families being able to choose the school of their choice and is aimed at curbing the growth in large schools and encouraging students to attend their nearest school. It actually follows a 2017 Auditor General's report which revealed that more than half of Victorian parents, half of Victorian parents, avoid their local school in Victoria. That's what it's come to, the mantra of school choice. Now, around 15% of Victorian schools, or around about 250 in total, received a phone call from the Education Department just last week and were told that they would be impacted because at least half of their enrolments were not local. The Education Department told the A's that these schools also had limited space. Um, I think last year we did a a special on Baldwin High School. Mm. It's a wonderful Mm. state school. Um, massively oversubscribed, they would have got the phone call. Doing a good job over there at Baldwin, but a lot of their students are shipped in to go there. Now, this plan has divided the community, and we at the Dogs actually have an opinion about this, but it's divided the community. There are some principal groups, and, of course, the state opposition, have slammed it as ill-conceived. But the Australian Education Union, parents and public education lobbyists, like ourselves, say it will actually lead to better outcomes for the children. Mm. Not for your child, but for the children. And this is that classic tension, which here in Australia we see played out again and again and again between what is right for my child and what is right for the children of Australia. And whether or not a school is in fact a community school, whether it relates to its local community and has curricula that reflect those communities. Mm. Um, I I think this is actually really quite important for a lot of parents and children. Mm. Now, you can get people like, um, uh, we've actually spoken about him and and I think with him, Henry Grossick, the principal Mm. at Berwick Mm. Lodge Primary School. Mm. Look, he says 70% of his enrolments are from outside the local area and many of these students bypass their local schools to come to his school. He said if enrolments increase to the point where he needs new portables, he'll have to actually reject students from outside the area because he won't be able to have the facilities to provide for them. Now, he thinks, well, for my school, I'm doing well. What's, what's wrong with that? Well, here at the dogs, we say, well, what about all the schools along the way? And I think it just gets back to one final point. Say, well, I'm trying to do the right thing by my child. And if that says that someone else's child can go to hell then that's not good enough from our point of view. Say, well, the children that go to these undersubscribed schools that are are poorly resourced and all this sort of stuff, I don't care about them because I'm going to do the right thing by my child. If it comes to the zero-sum game, which is what this article is talking about, if it comes to the zero-sum game, then it has to play out to the benefit of the children because... That's what governments are supposed to do. (laughs) Governments are supposed to, yes, deal with concepts of choice in certain areas and deal in concepts of freedom in others. I mean, I should have the choice to be able to say things on the radio here on 3CR. The government shouldn't be involved in that. There are freedoms, of course. But, but, and this is the big thing, when it comes to the education of the children, the only way to get away from the idea that your education is tied to how wealthy your parents are, which, which is what it is in Australia. Not in other Western countries, but in Australia. If your parents are wealthy, you will get a good education. If your parents are not wealthy, then you are likely not to. Um, we can talk about as many nice feel-good stories in the Herald Sun about lovely smart kids as you like, but that's just the way it is in Australia. If you're happy with that, then keep going with this choice mantra and we'll have good state schools and rubbish state schools and all the middle class parents will know what they are and that's fine. No, no, we'll also have schools which are closed down like they were in the 1990s by Mr Kennett and then that local community, when the wealthy move in, will discover Mm. that they don't have the choice of a good state school. That's what's been happening in in Melbourne and uh, in places like Preston and Coburg. Uh, that's also what you have to think about in the long term, Robert. Oh, and there's and there's quite significant local local things. So, at the moment in in Melbourne, in the east of Melbourne, there is just this exodus every day. Every day, thousands of children who live in the city of Knox in Melbourne's outer east get onto buses 
and go into the city of Monash, which has educational enclaves in Glen Waverley and Mount Waverley, where the good, inverted commas, schools are. And the education department's going to shut this down. They say, well, no, you can't. No, there are good schools in Knox. We're going to give you money to make them good. You're, you know, we're going to supply money to you to do this. The idea of you getting a special advantage for your child by shifting, shifting them off on a bus 20, 20 kilometres away is now no longer going to be the way we do it here in Victoria. I applaud it. It's gutsy stuff, actually. It's, it's not a vote winner for them. But it's, a, from my point of view, a fundamental philosophical problem. It's a fundamental... Who are we educating? Are we educating everyone or are we educating just some people? Do we care? And this whole thing actually playing out in the state school system, playing off parent against parent in the state school system, I think is actually, it has to stop. And I think Molino is doing his very best to try. We are listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And we'll be back with more dogs after this. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Every week on The Dogs Programme we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State State schools. schools School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Programme. School of the week indeed. Um, Knox Central Primary School. That's where we are. But I was talking about people bypassing their local school because they have this in, their, in their mind that there's this other school over there that's, that's supposed to be better. And yes, well, there is a school out there, Knox Central Primary School. I really like it. I have to say, it is a great little state school. And when I say little, I mean little. There's 122 kids in the middle of Knox. Mm. Now I don't know about you, but like Jean's eyes lit up. 122 kids at a school. That's a good school. That's a good school. Look, they've got eight teachers and six support staff there. So what's that? You know, they've got themselves a nice little cohort of 14 people working with 100 or so kids. Yeah, Knox Central Primary School. Just there in the middle of this massive city, there's this lovely little primary school, you know, with, say, 122 kids, a little bit over 100. What kind of kids are they? Well, they're not rich kids, that's for sure. There's only 11% of them come from the top quarter, but there are some. Most of the kids there are, are, are on the bottom quartile or the second bottom quartile, and there's a few in the middle, sort of, middle top quarter. It's just a primary school. It's just a good old-fashioned small little primary school, which I'm sure many people drive past, but it's a local school for some. Like the Ixia Valley, smack bang right in the middle. Average for Australia is 1,000. Ixia Valley for this school, 1,001. So, yeah, it, they're just kids. 24% come from a background language other than English, and I can tell you, um, they don't usually say this, but there's one kid there with Indigenous heritage. <laughs> Because there's one percent, there's a hundred kids. There's 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 a there's a little Aboriginal kid out there, um, just to make up some numbers. It doesn't I don't think, it, quite frankly, Jean, I don't think it'd matter at Knox Central Primary School. I don't think those things would matter at all because those eight teachers and six support staff would mean that every child would know what they're learning, when they're learning, and I'm sure the parents are very happy. In terms of Naplan, they're doing fine. Nothing except nothing exceptionally brilliant, and certainly nothing poor. But they are learning, not just about all the NAPLAN stuff, but that they're learning and they're turning up. The attendance record at this school is exceptional. It's way up there, over 
you know, sometimes it's hard to get little kids to school if they're not, especially in flu season. But no, kids seem to want to go to school at this lovely little state school, Knox Central Primary. Like, the school itself has been around for a little while, about as long as the suburb itself, so, you know, since the 70s or so. And it's a lovely little place. But the teachers, in fact, apply a shared language approach to literacy and numeracy and, indeed, to looking after the kids. They say student wellbeing. I know they have to say student wellbeing. It's just looking after the kids. This means that no matter what of the teachers a child is with, parents can be assured that their child is receiving a consistent level of instruction that's easily transferable to the next year and beyond. What they're saying is that in a small school like that, you really can work as a team, not teams, plural, but there is a team of people. Every single person in that school knows your child's name. There is no one that doesn't. And I'll tell you what, maybe it would be a sad thing if more people went there because the size itself is actually a benefit to itself. But I can tell you right now, at this moment, Knox Central Primary School is not the school to be driving past. Knox Central Primary School is a great state school. And if you have a kid out there, I'm some, and if you're a parent or a child out there, congratulations, because you are part of the dog's great state school. Of this week. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Yes, the dogs. Wonderful thing to have us here. Um, just as well we're going to stay here. Oh, hang on, maybe we won't stay here. Maybe we'll have to go away. It all depends on Radiothon. Radiothon in a couple of weeks here at 3CR. Uh, we are... Um, we're only here because you let us be here. And we've got to raise 6000 We do. We've got to raise $6,000. Otherwise, might be no more dogs. So I'm just warning our listeners, or certainly our regular listeners, that it's coming up to Radiothon. And um, if in a couple of weeks' time you could, in all good conscience, not give me some money. That's okay. I don't want it. <laughs> don't give Jean any money. She doesn't want it either. But if you give 3CR some money to keep us, not just us indeed, keep all of the 3CR programs on the air. Um, we'd appreciate it. Or you can give the money to me to give to 3CR. That's, That's right. true. So if you see, if you know Jean, you see her in the street, give her some money, and she's a very trustworthy person. She'll pass it straight on to 3CR. But in the weeks to come, we are going to be have to, have to harp on about this, and certainly on, on, on our radio Radiothon show, because you don't hear what we have to say anywhere else. Um, it's important that our voice... Yeah. You've heard. Now, I'm the person with the voice saying that I have an important voice. <laughs> so maybe you wouldn't be listening to me so much about saying how important I am, but I can tell you Dale, our producer, really likes the fact that we're here doing it, and I know there's many listeners out there. So for the listeners, please support 3CR when it comes to Radiothon in a couple of weeks. But if you're interested in what we've had to say this week, you can actually find out about us at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. 
info. Or, in, or indeed, if you, if, you, if you can't remember that, you can just go to the 3CR website, which is at 3cr.org.au. That's 3, the number, cr.org.au. Now, when it comes to great state schools, we love to actually get feedback from our listeners. And if you can think of a great state school that you want to hear about in detail on the air, you can actually give the radio station a call and just drop the name of the school. I'll do all the work. I just drop the name of the school. This is a really good school, and it's called this... Rob should talk about it, and I will. But you can call the radio, radio, the radio station, not just the radio show. You call the radio station on nine four one nine eight three double seven. That's nine four one nine eight three double seven. And if you know you're not going to be around for a radiothon, I'm sure you can call that number and say you'd like to actually donate some money to the dogs program because it doesn't go to us. It goes straight into the technology and the people and the training and supporting the volunteers and making sure there's enough tea um, for us to have a cup of tea here at the radio <laughs> station because this place is chaos if there's no tea. Um, yeah, so for all of those reasons... Um, and also until next week when, unfortunately, um, all our problems won't be solved, so we'll have to come back and keep defending government schools. It'd be nice to be obsolescent, actually. It'd be nice, it'd be nice not to be here because all the people of Australia have come together to support their great state schools, and we are creating the best of all possible worlds into the future so that all of the children can have the best education, no matter what state school they go to. But anyway, until next week. From here at the Dogs, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I did, says Joe. Says, killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes. Says Joe, what they can never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you'll find your hill Spend two minutes to save public housing in Victoria. This week, email david.davis at parliament.vic.gov.au. Ring him on 98276655 and tell him to support the motion to block the government's public housing renewal program planning amendment. 
For more info, emails and phone numbers, see the Public Housing Defence Network's Facebook page. A 3CR supporter. Twenty eighteen marks twenty years since senior traditional owner Yvonne Margarula invited supporters to come to Mirar Country within Kakadu National Park to blockade the proposed Jabaluka uranium mine. Thousands answered the call. The mine was stopped. To commemorate this extraordinary anniversary, Conjate Me Aboriginal Corporation and the Australian Conservation Foundation have produced a gorgeous commemorative calendar. Standing strong, Jabaluka twenty years is a piece of history you don't want to miss. Order your copy today at mirar.net. That's M-I-R-A-R-R dot net. A 3CR supporter.